So we're on week two of a little series that we're just calling the Secure Series, uh, looking at, uh, at what it means to actually be a secure people, uh, maybe a little bit in our identity and uh, in various aspects of our lives, what it means to be sort of anchored in, uh, in, in God in the midst of uh, different circumstances and different situations uh, we find ourselves in. But one of the key questions we sort of asked at the beginning of the series last week was this uh, question, does God actually want us to feel secure? Which is probably a, a, good, a good healthy question for us to ask. We looked at some quotes from like Dwight Eisenhower who said, yeah, if you want to be secure, you can go to prison. There you got three square meals a day and uh, all your needs are cared for. Of course, you don't have any freedom, but uh, that's, uh, that's okay. You're super secure there. Um, all the way through to just looking at the Psalms and looking at the scriptures at God's heart that we be people who are secure. We looked at this one in particular, Psalm uh, 91, verses 1 to 5. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrows that fly by day. So talking about the Lord as a really nurturing uh, and protective person in our lives. And we contrasted that a little bit with, uh, with Paul and we read a bit about Paul's journey uh, uh, you know, shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and chased out of town and arrested. And he ends his little uh, list of things by saying this, I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. So Paul, uh, theoretically, as apostle, like one of the most secure human beings who walked on the planet, uh, here was talking about um, who is weak and I do not feel weak, who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn, uh, burdened with pressure uh, for his concern for all the churches, uh, which is something that, that I've felt and something that I'm sure you guys uh, feel so the kind of security that God wants us to walk in isn't necessarily a security that leaves us emotionally uh, disconnected but there's a deep uh, security that he wants for us he talks about in Hebrews 12 uh, now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens the words once more indicate they're removing what can be shaken that is created things so what cannot be shaken uh, may remain Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. He's talking about, okay, we want you to be really secure and we also want you to be really secure from the stuff I'm shaking. Right? We have a God who is moving and shaking and doing things in the earth, doing things in the planet. Uh, he's, he's shaking things up. He's mixing it up. He's moving nations. He's uh, adjusting the world ultimately to become the place uh, where he uh, rules and reigns in perfect sovereignty. Uh, right now it says that the glory of the Lord covers the whole earth, but we're coming to a time when ultimately the knowledge of the Lord uh, glory of the Lord will cover the whole earth. 
Uh, that is part of his agenda to make the world new. But in the meantime, things are, are as you know and as you feel, uh, chaotic and shaken. And we wrestle with sickness. We wrestle with disease. Uh, geopolitical things happen. We wrestle with environmental issues. There's a tremendous shaking that's going on in the world. And he's calling us to be secure uh, in him in all of that. So we know that somehow the Father wants us to have tremendous security but that security isn't necessarily tied to our circumstances. He doesn't want our sense of security to come from the perfection of our external circumstances or our ability to maintain uh, emotional disconnect from difficult circumstances. True security comes from enjoying a secure connection with Jesus in the midst of our circumstances. Right? That's what we're, we're talking about. And, and you guys know, as well as I do, that our temptation as humans is to try to operate in a way that leaves us uh, creating a security that's of our own making most of the time. And so when we're in difficult situations or we know we're going into a difficult uh, circumstance, what is our, our first sort of line of human ability to deal with that difficult circumstances? I'm going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I'm not going to feel it. I'm not going to be hurt. I'm not going to uh, sense the pain of this. I'm just going to go in. I'm going to do what I have to do. Uh, check my emotions at the door and just deal with it. Right? That's sort of how we deal with those things. But that's not uh, necessarily a God-given uh, security. Uh, Paul seemed to walk into all of these circumstances and challenges and struggles that he had. And, and at a pretty deep level, and we certainly see it also in the life of Jesus, walked into difficult circumstances and seemed to actually really feel it. Jesus wasn't experiencing an emotional disconnect in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he uh, was, was in anguish over what was about to happen to him on the cross to the point of literally weeping tears of blood. But at the same time, wasn't he absolutely secure in his mission? and absolutely secure in his vocation, and absolutely secure in the knowledge that he was about to do the thing that God wanted him to do. So we're talking about a deep kind of security in all kinds of different areas of our lives, uh, from uh, security in our homes and our families and our relationships, as we talked about last week, uh, from security in our jobs and vocation, uh, from financial security to personal security uh, to spiritual security, kind of eternal security. And we're just unpacking these things uh, one by one uh, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, this, first, this one that we're going to unpack this week is around uh, jobs and vocation. Uh, one of the things that stresses us most uh, out as humans is our, is our working lives, if we're honest. Right? We have a, a, a tremendous amount of stress around that. Uh, this is a study from 2007 that lists the top uh, stressors in the workplace. This is very dangerous, by the way, to do this, uh, this sermon with Alan Kearns in the house because he may know a thing or two about this. He's probably read the study. Um, but uh, in terms of, uh, of uh, stressors, uh, how many of you have felt stress around like workload and unrealistic expectations in the job? Anybody felt that ever? Yeah, I, I felt that. Uh, and even if, listen, honestly, if you're, if you're a business owner uh, or, or a retired person, we, off, we wrestle with these stresses. Often they're self-imposed, aren't they? 
if you're owning a business, no, nobody's really your boss, but uh, workload and unrealistic expectations, where are they coming from? Typically they're coming from yourself, but you feel them, like real deal, right? Uh, feeling undervalued, uh, duties that don't fit. So you have responsibilities within the job that aren't naturally a fit for your makeup as a person and for your gifts and your abilities. They're things that really stretch your abilities that might be part of your uh, job description. Uh, covering for others. All of a sudden you're, you're working a great day, you've got a whole lot going on, uh, and all of a sudden you realize that your coworker is called in sick and you've got to cover a whole bunch of responsibilities uh, for them. Huge stress uh, load for people. Uh, long hours or short home life, which is usually the, uh, the real issue that we wrestle there. Some of us work an enormous amount of hours. Just a little plug for pastors. Pastors on average work between uh, 70 and, and 80 hours a week, a lot of pastors. Um, but there's different stats for different, uh, different groups. Uh, coworker conflict is a huge one. Uh, a lack of control, like not having the ability to make choices. Very often people by their contracts or by uh, the nature of the work that they're doing don't have the authority to make the decisions that they see necessary uh, to make or they just don't have the freedom that they feel uh, as people that they want to have. Um, and of course another huge stressor is non-constructive uh, uh, criticism is that there's often in many job, job uh, expectations, job places, uh, where there would just be criticism that's coming down uh, the pipe from various people in the system. And those things obviously cause stress and, and weigh on us. So how in that sort of sphere, sphere of, uh, of career and, and job, how do we uh, partner with God to enjoy his gift of security in our vocation? Right? How many of you would like to feel just more secure and more joyful in your workplace? Right? Wouldn't that be... That, that'd be That'd be amazing, right? In the scriptures, there's 555 references uh, to work in the Bible. So the Bible maybe has a thing or two that it can uh, say to us about that. Uh, and so I just pulled a few of them, and, and uh, we'll see if we can, uh, can, can share a little bit. Uh, the first thought that comes to mind is, is this, that we can allow ourselves to enjoy uh, the satisfaction that can come from hard work in and of itself. This is something that uh, uh, we as parents are really, really wanting uh, to uh, see in the hearts of our kids. How many of you would like your kids to just be so thrilled about picking up a shovel and doing some work in the yard? Wouldn't that be just great? Like, like we don't want to pay you, son. Uh, we, we're not into that. But uh, we just want you to work just for the joy of working. Right? Isn't that great? You know, my son, my kids are mercenaries. Like, how much, Dad? Like, like... Like hook, hook up the cash. But you guys know reality-wise that there is a lot of joy that simply comes from work. Ecclesiastes 5.12 uh, says, The sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. There's something uh, in us, and, and country music artists know about this, that is just deeply satisfying about working hard and working with your hands sometimes. Isn't there? There's a, there's a satisfaction and a sweetness about that. And that's just something that we don't want to lose sight of as people. It's just the joy of working, that we're built to work. God gave you uh, hands and a body and a mind that are capable of accomplishing things. And so in working and in doing those things, you're coming into alignment with the purpose for which your body is created. So there's joy uh, to be had in that. Uh, enjoy uh, the reward that comes from your labor. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, 
but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Anytime you read the Proverbs, it gives you the positive and the negative. I could have just cut that part out there, but uh, let's throw it in there. Uh, but uh, if you work your land, you'll have, you'll have plenty of bread. That There's a reward that comes uh, from doing the things that, that you can do with your hands, and it's okay to enjoy that. Uh, Psalm 128.2 says, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. There's something joyful about uh, doing that kind of, uh, of work. Especially, you know, I grew up with farmers and in Western Canada. Grew up in Saskatchewan. And I'll just remember, uh, for my whole life, I'll remember uh, my uncle uh, after the harvest is done. Like, they've worked all year. They sowed their crops uh, in the spring. And he took care of them all year. Uh, my cousin lived in the city, but he would literally drive out to their farm like 45 kilometers each day just to drive around their fields and just look at what it grew a millimeter today. Like what, what's he doing out there? But just to, to love it and to care for it and to watch these crops of wheat and canola grow and uh, care for them and pray for the weather. I remember my uncle, when the rain came in a dry season, I remember him literally out on his deck just dancing in the rain. Woo! Let it rain, Lord! Let it rain! This is my crazy Russian uncle, right? With, uh, with eyebrows that went out well past to shelter him from the rain. And uh, just crazy guy, but just excitement about this. And then the immense sense of satisfaction we would see on him when the harvest was in and finally in the bins at the end of the year. There's joy from, from the reward. I remember being at my cousin Natalie's wedding and I was driving grain trucks for them. Uh, the wedding was in the fall and uh, I put uh, a truckload of grain in the bin and he says, you know what you put in that grain bin? I'm like, what? You put the entire cost of Natalie's wedding in there. <laughs> you know, like, like it, it's fantastic. Um, it's also worth enjoying the knowledge that it's God's heart for justice to see you rewarded for your labor behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which kept you back by fraud which you kept back by fraud are crying against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the lord of hosts isn't god signaling this to the jewish community thousands of years ago hey you farmers out there if you're not paying your workers, their cries are reaching my ears. It's part of God's heart for justice. Uh, for the scriptures say, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. The laborer deserves his wages. It's the heart of the Lord for you to uh, work and to earn and to be able to care for your families. And, and you know, so one of the things that I encounter so often is people who feel guilty about their paychecks sometimes. Oh, I just, I made a lot of money, but, you know, it's, it's okay. I, you know, like, whatever, right? Like, celebrate that the Lord has blessed you. Uh, regardless of job circumstances, though, work can be seen as something that is done uh, for God and worship. It's worship. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. 
So putting all reward aside and all the joy and all the benefits of work aside, there's something in it which is just for him. There's something in the work that you do that is just for him. Uh, when Mark is uh, working uh, in his company and he's designing a new thruster uh, for side shift and they're preparing that product and they're hoping to get that out the door and Salome is going back in production uh, to make that thing all work. Uh, there's a way in which all of that that they're doing is not just for them. It's something that they're doing uh, as worship for the Lord. Uh, Mark, uh, uh, Mark has just started taking a job. Wave at us there, Mark. It's great to have you with us. Mark took a job working, uh, keeping machines operating at an iron mine in Baffin Island. And he's just back and forth every couple of weeks. Mark's uh, doing that for his family. And he's doing that for uh, his kids. He's doing that for his wages and for the joy of work. And he's also doing that as worship to the Lord. He's also doing that for the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord. Uh, and then beyond that, still realize that earthly reward is not the only reward. Since you know you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord, from the Lord as a reward. Uh, going back to the verse that we looked at, whatever you do, uh, work heartily for the Lord and not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Part of the reason for doing this is knowing that there's something eternal that's happening in a transactional sense, in a relationship with God. And we don't know how that works and we don't know the mystery of it, but the Lord sees your work as something that's being done for him. And there's something about wages at the end of the journey with him. There's something about reward there. We don't know what that is. I'm pretty sure there's not going to be a T4, but, uh, but he's, he's going to meet you with a sense of satisfaction and with a sense of joy. And then we get into some of the uh, really challenging pieces about work in the scriptures. That's all sort of the the fun stuff, the challenging stuff, but what we see uh, time and time again in the scriptures is that it's actually our attitudes about work and about employment that, that make, the, make this thing work. Uh, the relationship that we have with our bosses, and in the scriptures, uh, it's often between some, it's, it's often something much more of a, of a harsh relationship. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, Paul is actually addressing the relationship between slaves and slave owners. Uh, and in these verses that we're going to read, uh, this is what unraveled the slave trade in the world. This, the words of Jesus about how that relationships work are really what put an end to slavery in our society. But working within the brokenness of what was going on uh, in the world and in the Roman Empire, uh, Paul is teaching uh, new believers about how to do this incredible relationship thing with Jesus and how to do it while being slaves and masters in a relationship and in a system that is, uh, at that space and time, completely broken. Uh, part of the circumstances that you would see in the early church was you would often have a situation where a person would come to faith through relationship. They would go to the synagogue. They might be a slave or a servant, and they would go, and they would worship in that space. And Paul would come in and speak in the synagogue, and he would teach, and a person would come to faith, and they would go home, and they would lead uh, their owner to Jesus. 
and you would have these households of, uh, of faith communities among the servants uh, in a household, in a Roman household. And the slave owner, the owner, would come to faith through this community. And you would have the master with his slave as his pastor. So how do we do this as a community? How do we uh, unravel this incredible relationship? And it speaks to our relationships as employees with our, our employers as well. We'll talk about the employer-employee side too. Let's just read this together. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. And again, this is very, very counterintuitive. Uh, this is read by non-Christians and by uh, people who are looking at Christianity. And people read these passages and they look at them and they say Christianity is pro-slavery. It's not. These are the words that ultimately unravel slavery. But speaking into that broken and corrupt system back in that time, uh, Paul says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not uh, only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. And this is where we got this piece out of uh, Colossians. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Wherever you're at in your career or in your job or whatever you're looking at in terms of your experience from the past, uh, if you're retired, whatever those circumstances are, uh, there's something about our heart to that situation and our heart towards that attitude or that space that has to be filled with respect. Uh, that word fear there in the Greek is uh, reverence and with sincerity of heart. Now let's be honest, how many of us feel respect and reverence for our employers? Any federal government employees in the house? <laughs> right? That's a huge challenge us respect and reverence but it's that counterintuitive attitude that makes it possible for us to be secure in that space because we know that we're we're not ultimately beholden to our, our earthly masters we're not we're not ultimately beholden to our employers we're ultimately beholden to the Lord and our work it ultimately has to be filled with reverence and respect and honor for him. Young people, those of you who are in here for junior high listening, those of you who haven't had jobs yet, this is not something you'll learn from your friends at school. But that's what the Lord wants you to have, a heart of a servant. But listen to how the Lord turns it around on the masters here. Masters treat your slaves in the same way. Employers treat your employees in the same way, with respect and reverence and sincerity of heart. That undoes slavery in our society. Give up your use of threats. Uh, those words uh, in the Greek there for threats means fear-holding. 
different word from fear than phobos, but fear holding. Don't motivate your workers by fear, by fear of rejection, by fear of withholding wages, uh, in that case, by fear of beatings, by fear of uh, all of those things. Those are not, and this is leadership 101. This isn't how we motivate people. Jesus is teaching leadership 101. Let go of your use of threats. And this is the reason, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Employer, your employee has the same boss that you have. And he doesn't see the hierarchy and he doesn't see the power dynamic between the two of you. God does not look at you, employer, and your employee and see that you're an employer and they're an employee. He sees you on the same level. And when you stand before God, you stand as equals. So employers, doesn't that change the way you treat your employees? Employees, seeing your master as your equal, doesn't that change the way you serve them? As a brother, as a sister, with reverence and respect and sincerity of heart and honesty of heart. And so Jesus gives us this, uh, this counterintuitive way of living in relationship to one another. We see the dynamics of power that happen in our workplaces, uh, the way that communication has to flow, uh, the roles and responsibilities that are necessary for us to work with. A boss has to be a decision maker. Sometimes an employee has to be obedient. But before the Lord, in that context, standing before the throne of God, regardless of uh, your role, your value is equal. We stand before the Lord like that. Now putting all of that aside, all of that dynamic of employee, employer, uh, the Bible uh, reminds us of this, that our job is not our true vocation. It says this in Second uh, Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the vocation that you've been given. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. That's your vocation. And that's very different from your job. I, I, I noticed there that he didn't say that this is to apply to pastors. Just saying. He didn't say it applies to, uh, you know, hired holy men or religious workers or elders or just deacons or uh, high-level volunteers in a church. This is for every believer 
your vocation is as an ambassador. And it's very intentional that Paul uses that word. He could have used, uh, he could have used the word as a messenger. That word is used elsewhere, right? You're just a messenger from God. But an ambassador is somebody who is given authority to build a relationship with another state. That's what you are. You've been given authority from a king to build a relationship with someone from another state. It's a huge responsibility. And it's very much a word that speaks of empowerment. That God empowers you to do this thing. That he meets you with his glory. He meets you with his gifts. He meets you with the filling of the Holy Spirit. uh, The anointing of the Holy Spirit. And empowers you to go forth in ambassadorial robes. To go into the court of the world. And to proclaim the love of Jesus with confidence and with authority. So imagine that in your workplace. Imagine, what, I don't know, what do ambassadors wear? I don't even know. Ambassadors in the old day, I should have done some research on that. What do Roman ambassadors wear back in the day? But I'm pretty sure they had some special duds, right? Like you're wearing something special. You're wearing a marker, a sign of authority on you. God is sending you an official capacity to your bosses, to your coworkers, to your schoolmates. You have a role to play, and you're empowered to do it. I want to tell you really quickly the story of uh, Victor E. Frankel. Uh, he was a, a psychologist who received a degree uh, in, in psychology very early uh, in his life. Uh, grew up in, uh, in Europe in and around uh, the time approaching the Second World War as a Jewish man, ultimately ended up in a, a concentration camp and went into a concentration camp and lived there and survived there through the Second World War uh, with his uh, faith in God as a Jewish person and as a, as a psychologist in that space. And he wrote an incredible book. I've just read excerpts of it. I'm afraid I haven't read the whole thing. Saying this, nevertheless, say yes to life. A psychologist experiences the concentration camp. So from in the middle of that darkness and in the middle of that pain and in the middle of that, uh, that incredible uh, poverty and oppression and control that he was under in that space, Uh, He writes this about his mission within that place. Everyone has his own specific vocation or mission in life. Everyone must carry out a concrete assignment that demands fulfillment. Everyone's task is unique as his specific opportunity to implement it. So the question uh, for us is, that vocation to be an ambassador for Jesus. How specifically does God want you to walk out that vocation in your workplace, in your school, in your home? How specifically is God 
uh, calling you in that space to wear those ambassadorial robes. That might be through how you uh, work in the arts. That might be how you do uh, design and work with designers as an engineer. That might be how you work for Revenue Canada. That might be how you uh, run a company. Uh, that might be how you make coffee uh, for a coffee company. That might be uh, somehow woven into your day-to-day, -day, no matter where you're at, in your circumstances, in your workplace, uh, in your retirement, uh, wherever you are, you have an ability to work. How do you carry out that vocation to be ministers of Jesus, ministers of reconciliation in that place? And we're just going to pause and just take a moment of just listening prayer and just listen to the Lord and let him just speak to us for a moment about maybe new ways for us to walk out our vacation in our workspace because he can give application a lot better than I can. Let's just be quiet for a moment. Lord, just in this moment, this opportunity of an encounter with you, how do you want us to walk out our vocation as your ambassadors wherever you have called us to be? Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Lord, we want every person here to be secure in their vocation, their ultimate vocation to you. We want everybody to be secure in their jobs, in their relationships, employee to employer, employer to employee. We want everyone to be secure in the joy of working and in the knowledge of the reward they're to receive both on earth and in heaven. Would you cause us to be people who are secure? For everyone this morning that you've given just a glimmer of vision to about how we can walk out our vocation in the spaces you've called us to be, Lord, I just ask that you would, along with that sense of vision, give a sense of empowerment and a sense of uh, ability, a sense of giftedness, a sense of confidence, a sense that you are walking in that with them. Take our lives and use us let your kingdom come in our working lives, Lord. Thank you so much for the ones in our midst who are retired and who are working second careers, uh, serving and loving you. Thank you so much, Father, for this incredible workforce in our community. Thank you for our young people who are learning uh, to work and learning about their future. Would you give them confidence and joy, Father? Amen. I'm going to leave us with this uh, one thought uh, from Mother Teresa about our ultimate vocation that goes beyond uh, the workplace, that goes beyond even the mission that Jesus has called us to here on earth. Many people mistake our work for our vocation. Our vocation is simply this, the love of Jesus.
the ultimate vocation over your vocation over your vocation. It simply will be forever and ever and ever and ever and ever to express your love to Jesus. Gathered round his throne, crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, for anyone here who's experienced stress in their workplace, a sense of challenge, a sense of struggle, Lord, I ask that you will uh, remind them of the joys of work, uh, the joy of reward. Let them feel okay about celebrating that. For everyone looking for work or looking for employment who just longs to have that experience of, of, uh, of, of working, Lord, I pray that you will find the right career for them, that they'll find joy in it and hope in it. provide that right connection uh, for them. For anyone who's at odds with their employer, with their boss, would you uh, enable that relationship of the upside-down kingdom to work where uh, there would be an incredibly uh, strong sense of love and respect and care uh, for one another as individuals? that uh, employees would have pastoral hearts for their employers, that employers would have pastoral hearts for their employees. And Lord, overall, we commit ourselves uh, to the ultimate uh, vocation that we have to be your ambassadors. Send us out with authority and confidence And when heaven finally comes in its completeness, Lord, we just look forward to the day of enjoying you and worshiping you as our vocation that lasts forever. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.